If you would, open in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, or you can look in your worship guide, because we're also going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 15. Let me kind of outline the next <clears throat> few weeks for you. Next week, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer again. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The following week, which will be our last Sunday here, um, we're going to have a lot of our stuff already moved out. Um, we'll have an acoustic service, and, and I'm going to teach through, I'm going to try to teach through the Bible in about an hour. Um, and so if um, you could pray for me about that. But uh, we're going to go through the whole Bible in an hour, and uh, maybe an hour and ten minutes. And uh, hopefully afterwards you'll have um, at least a good understanding of the grand story of the Bible, um, the grand story of God's salvation and history. Uh, and then the following week we'll be at our new facility and we'll be beginning uh, the book of Daniel. Um, I've chosen Daniel for us to look at uh, the gospel according to Daniel um, because I think it is a book that really reminds us of who I believe God has called us to be as a church. So that's our uh, next three-week um, kind of outline. Tonight, we're finishing up 2 Corinthians. So for those of you, it's your first time coming here. We are ending a really long, probably about a six-month study or so, um, ending 2 Corinthians tonight. And I'm not going to preach terribly long tonight because I am going to give opportunity for some people to come up and share. Let's begin reading 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether or not, whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, that we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak, and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for the building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Pray with me. Lord, we are in desperate need to hear from you and to hear words that breathe life into us. Lord, I come into tonight tired, scattered in mind. Lord, I ask that you would use my weakness as a platform for your glory. That your spirit now, he would come, he would be heavy in this room, working in our midst. I pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered, 
anymore. But Lord, may your words remain. May they change us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. I've shared this story a number of years ago, but it bears repeating. It goes with this message. And I'll give an abbreviated version of it. A number of years ago, I was sitting in a Bible study, and the Lord really put it on my heart to go try to find a couple of people in, living in Northern Ireland. And, uh, and I, I came home from that study, and I talked to my wife. I said, you know, it's just crazy that the person up there just happened to mention Ireland, and, and instantly God put two people on my heart, and so I think I need to go talk to them. And Lauren, you know, gracious wife she was, she said, great. We immediately, we bought plane tickets, and I flew over there. Uh, and uh, rented a car, and I'm driving around in Northern Ireland, and my great planning, I didn't even know these kids' last names. Um, I didn't know where they lived. I just kind of thought those details would work themselves out. And uh, so I'm driving all around, and uh, it's pouring down rain. I've now been in the car for about 10 hours, and I can't even find what looks vaguely familiar. Finally, I I find this soccer pitch that looks familiar, and... uh, and I see some kids going inside. I'm knocking on doors, knocking on doors, and nobody will answer. And finally, I see somebody ride a bicycle, and they go in. I'm like, I know somebody's home. I go there, and I knock on the door, and it opens, and it's one of the kids that I'm supposed to go talk to, a kid named Stephen. I was like, Stephen? He's like, Joel. He's like, what are you here for? I'm like, the Lord sent me to talk to you. I'm like, okay. Uh, and it got awkward. Um, he, uh, I, I came in, and he just turned on the TV and watched it the entire time. Presented the gospel, completely hardened. Uh, he told me where his friend was that I was looking for, a guy named Colin. And so I went over there, same thing, knock, 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 open the door. Joel, what are you doing here? The Lord sent me to talk to you. Okay. So we sat down and we talked and he, he listened and he did not come to know the Lord. I flew home. And, and that began a many-year conversation with Colin in which um, every time I would get to go over to Northern Ireland, I would go every summer, sometimes in Christmas, and I would get to talk to him. I brought a friend with me one time. I had to go just for two days to do some planning, and uh, we're driving uh, actually across the Republic. We're not even in Northern Ireland at this point, and my friend really needs to use the bathroom. I said, no, he's pleading with me. I really need to go. I really need to go. I'm like, no, no, just be quiet. Finally, he's like, ah, we've gotten to pull over. So I pull over to a petrol station. We go in to use the bathroom. There's Colin. Um, and I was like, Colin? He goes, Joel. I was like, it's like the Lord's after you. you Got to go. And, uh, and, and left. And that was it. And uh, the friend, uh, Shay Henson was his name, he's with me. He's like, was that the Colin you were telling me? I was like, it was. It's like the Lord's after him. Later that summer, I got to talk to Colin. Still didn't come to know the Lord. Uh, truncate a story. I mean, there were times that the Lord broke down his car where he couldn't leave, and I'd say, I'd give you a ride home if you'd stay for a Bible study. Great. Next day, God breaks down his car and said, well, stay for a Bible study. I'll take you home. I mean, the Lord was so obviously after him, yet his heart was hardened for years, years. And finally, one time, we were walking out someplace, and I pick up a blade of grass, and I hold it, I said, Colin, this is your life, and all this field is eternity, and I let the blade of grass grow and it just go and it just disappeared. I thought that was a pretty effective you know, thing there. It was powerful to me. Still didn't come to know the Lord, but we're driving someplace at one point, and finally he just looks at me. 
And he goes, Joel, how do you know? How do you know? And I presented the gospel to him one more time. And he knew. He knew. And I always remember his words. We prayed together. And he said, Joel, it wasn't coincidence you found me that day. And he goes, Joel, I'm going to need a hug. Um, <laughs> it's my best. I'll never try that again. Accent. All right. Uh, but that question, how, how do you know? Like, like how, how do you know God? And, and how do you know if you, if you really know him? How do you know if you're saved? How, how do you know if the message you believe is, is true? It's a question that we're actually encouraged to keep asking of ourselves. How do we know? How do you know if you are, you know, the theological word is saved? Paul asked the Corinthians this question. He says, you need to ask that of yourselves. How how do I know? Examine yourselves is what he opens this final section with. Examine yourself. See if you really are of the faith. See if you really have faith. It seems at first somewhat of a silly question because Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. These are people listening to the Bible being read to them. And yet Paul says, okay, I know you're in church and I know you're hearing the Bible read to you, but you need to examine yourself and see if you have faith. You're you're not just a Christian because you're sitting in church listening to a sermon. Now here's the tricky thing about what Paul says. He asks them to examine yourself, and then he doesn't tell them how. He says, you need to examine yourselves, but he doesn't say what this exam should look like. Is it a pass-fail exam? You know, what, what, what is it? Seems like a pretty big deal here. Heaven, hell, in the balance. Paul just kind of says, examine yourself. And I, and I think he he just leaves it open-ended like that for a couple reasons. For one, he wants them to seek God about it. Examine yourselves. Are you of the faith? What's the test? We'll we'll ask God what the test is. Go to Him. And then I think also, Paul's saying, I just wrote you an entire letter about the exam. The entire letter, I was laying out the case for how does one know if you have genuine faith? Will you accept the letter I just gave you or not? If you remember... Last six months, we've been looking at how these Corinthians have been examining Paul. They've been testing Paul. They've been asking him, all right, give, give us evidence if, the, if you're a Christian. Give us evidence if you're following God. Give us evidence if you're really his apostle. And so Paul has been doing that. And as Paul has defended that over and over and over again, he's really been laying out a case for what they need to be examining themselves with. So all throughout the letter, he's done this. And I want us to go back and just look at a few. First, I want to look at just, just a couple of wrong ways of examining yourself. All right, so these don't walk away thinking these are how you're supposed to examine yourself. These are a couple of wrong ways. And one is to think that the proof of being a Christian is that things are going to go really well for you once you become a Christian. That when you follow God, your life is going to just unfold in this beautiful way, and it's going to be great. If that's the exam that you're putting out to see whether or not you really love the Lord, whether you're a Christian, that you'll have a wonderful life, that is a false exam. There have been times when Paul had a lot 
There's times when Paul had a little. There's times when Paul had great health. There is times when Paul had no health. There was times when he was very respected. And there is times when people drug his, dragged his name through mud. He's been in every type of circumstance. And circumstances in no way are any kind of evidence. If you're following the Lord or if you're not, you've you got to put that aside. Another common but wrong way that we examine ourselves is when we compare ourselves with others, when we begin looking sideways. Paul never did this. He didn't look sideways. In chapter 10, Paul says he was not like those self-proclaimed super apostles who proved themselves by always comparing themselves and commending themselves in comparison to one another. He said, I'm not like that. When we examine ourselves, we're not to look sideways. We're not to ask, you know, well, gosh, I I go to church more than that person does. You know, I think I give maybe more than that person does. You know, I, 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 well, maybe I don't quite serve as much, but uh, my heart's really in it when I'm there. You know, and you're always kind of like comparing yourself. Paul wouldn't have any of it. And I realize we, trying not to compare yourself is one of the hardest things to do. I, I just read a study about when, when men saw women, the first thing they did, you know, 50% of them is they completely checked them out head, head to toe. And you're women, you're like, yeah, I know. That's, that's what men do. Well, they did a study with women. Women check out women from head to toe the exact same amount as the men. There was, there was no difference between how men looked at women and how women looked at women. It's because they're comparing. It's the first thing you have to do is size up another person. How do you compare to them? It's what we do all the time. Paul says that you can't examine your faith that way by looking sideways. Because that is a never-ending spiral. It's foolish to do. It's, uh, I kind of think of it as this way. It's, it's like getting with your neighbor and saying, hey, let's, let's have a contest and we'll compare like who could jump up and touch the moon first? You know, and you're like, all right. And you're both jumping and jumping, and you're comparing to see who's higher than the other. But you're trying to touch the moon, all right? It doesn't matter if you get a little bit higher or this much higher. You're, you're failing the, the objective, and our objective is perfection. We're, we're all failing. And that's not Christianity. It's just trying to do the best you can in comparison to others. Christianity is that the moon has come down to us, that God has come down to us, and he lets us touch him. God's grace has come to us. We don't have to look sideways and kind of hope God's grading on the curve and that we can sneak in. God comes to us. Let's look at the right way to examine ourselves. see if we are of the faith. All throughout the letter for Paul, it really came down to one thing. Belief. Do you believe the gospel? By belief, I'm not just talking about up here. Maybe a better word, whenever you find the word faith or you find the word belief, probably a better word that you could put in there is treasure. Do you treasure the gospel? Because that's mind and heart together, which is what Paul is saying here. 
Paul stated the gospel as clearly as he could in his first letter to them. It's how he ends the letter. And let me read this to you. It's in your worship guide. 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Paul, as clearly as he could say it to the Corinthians here, he says... Christianity is not turning over a new leaf. It's not trying really hard to live a moral life. It's it's not, hey, I'm going to do something for you, God, and then maybe you can return the favor, do something for me. So that's that's not Christianity. That's, That's not the gospel. The gospel is that all of us here in this room are wretched sinners. And that Jesus died for our sins. And he was raised back up to life, and now we get to have that same life. That's the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life that you were supposed to live, and he died the wretched, horrible death that you were supposed to die. The gospel is what I would call the beautiful exchange. It's when Jesus gets our wretchedness, he gets our sinfulness, and we get his beautiful righteousness. That's the gospel. When Paul is, is asking the Corinthians to examine themselves, he's saying, do you believe that? Do, do you treasure that? Do you find your identity in that? Are you placing your hopes and you're placing all of your trust in that? Because if you are, everything changes. You'll be completely different than all those around you if you really treasure the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you are, God has put His Spirit inside you. His Spirit is living in you, and you will be different people. There's going to be new life. There's going to be repentance. There's going to be the fruits of the Spirit. This will all be there if you believe the gospel. Paul's very hopeful that the Corinthians will pass the test. He's a lot more hopeful than I would be. He's he's very hopeful. Uh, Look at this, you know, verse 11 and 12 in this final section. It's Valentine's Day. I I had to get this in her, Valentine's week. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, for the last three chapters, those have been Paul's angry chapters when he's really just kind of laid in uh, to these, you know, super apostles in this part of the church. For those last three chapters, he has dropped the term brother. It's been throughout the letter. He's called them brothers, brothers. This last three chapters is gone. But at the very end, he brings it back. He says, finally, brothers. Brothers. I know I was attacking you, but I was attacking you as family. 
We're family here. And now just imagine the impact that that finally brothers would have as it's going out, it's being read to a people who have dragged Paul's name through the mud. And Paul is now reaching back to them. He's saying, we're family here. And he says, finally, brothers, rejoice. I want you to be filled with joy. That's my purpose in doing all of this. The gospel brings you joy. Rejoice. And then he goes on and he does several exhortations. He says, aim for restoration. Don't aim for retribution, but, retro, but restoration. Comfort one another. If you remember, he started off the letter to the Corinthians by saying, we comfort others with the comfort we have received, and that comfort is the gospel. It says, agree with one another. What are, what are they supposed to agree on? It's not the color of the carpet or the pews or you know, the best home group structure there is. He's, he's wanting them to agree on the gospel, the central message of our faith. Agree on that. Live in peace, and the God of peace will be with you. And then Paul tells them to greet each other with a holy kiss. All right, that's awkward, okay? Um, it be really awkward. Um, it, it's, you know, we, we sing things like, uh, I always love it, like when you sing songs about lift up holy hands and you look around and you're like, you see five hands up. You know, so we can actually say things and we're like, I'm lifting hands in my heart. Uh, Paul, Paul is not, he's not saying, you know, kiss one another with a holy kiss in your heart. He's asking them to do something. This letter is being read out loud to people. He's saying, greet each other with a holy kiss. Kiss and make up. Kiss and make up. I used to hate it when my, my mom or my dad would make me do that with my sister. But it, it's a way of saying, your family, kiss and make up. Let's greet another with a holy kiss is a, is a unique saying that Paul, he uses it this way for the first time in history. It's used this way in this letter. Um, it was common in that culture that you could greet family by, you know, kissing both cheeks. Um, and it was acceptable, though not as common, to greet people of the exact same social class as you. But you never, ever greeted people of a different social class with a kiss. You didn't do it. And Paul here is talking to people of all different social backgrounds, all different class systems, and he's saying, Greet one another with a holy kiss. And what he is saying is, I want you to look around this room, and you know what? Your family. I don't care what the world sees you as. I know we're family. And so we greet each other this way. I mean, it had to be awkward for these people. But Paul was going to push the issue on them. You know, there's a lot of really um, unusual Christians out there. A lot of really cool t-shirts, bumper stickers. Uh, Just Christians very, very different from me and awkward that I'm ashamed of sometimes. Or I'm not ashamed, I'm embarrassed of them. And then God reminds me, he's like, I'm not embarrassed to call that person my own. 
Why are you? If they believe the gospel, they're family, no matter all the other differences. You shouldn't be ashamed. Now, how can we apply this today? I know you're looking around to the right and left who you're sitting next to in this moment. Um, you, you can't greet each other with a holy kiss. You, you can. Holy kiss means not a romantic kiss, all right? Um, but what Paul is, is saying is as family, we find a tangible way to treat one another like family in Christ. We, we find a tangible way to do that. Whether it's a kiss or it's a hug or it's a meal, whatever it is, the way that we treat one another here in this room, people outside need to feel like they are on the outside. Okay? They need to realize that this is a family reunion. That we, we see each other that way. We treat each other that way. There needs to be something special in the way we talk with one another, the way we are affectionate towards one another. The world needs to see that we're different from them, and we need to feel that we're different when we gather together. And that's what Paul's saying. Now, now why was Paul so hopeful? Hopeful that you know, they were going to kiss and make up, that they really were family, they were brothers, and that they would be living in peace. In a word, the reason he was so hopeful is grace, and it's how he ends his letter. Grace. Every letter that Paul writes begins with grace to you. Every letter that Paul ends begins with grace be with you. And what he is saying is the grace to you are the words that I'm speaking, the words that you are reading, the truth that you are hearing. And as you are leaving, as you're leaving this assembly, this, these words are with you and they are changing you. And what Paul is saying is, I actually believe everything I've written to you about. That I did not need to come to you with persuasive words of wisdom. But I needed to come in just a demonstration of the spirit of power. That I determined to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's all I talked about in my letters. That the gospel is enough. And all I needed to do was simply to present the gospel and weakness to you, which is what I did in the letter. And I trust that that grace now is working and is with you. Paul is trusting the very message that he has been preaching all along. That God's gospel will have the effect in their lives. And then this glorious benediction reveals how this grace comes to us. It's an unusual benediction. It's a Trinitarian one which we have, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and that's, um, that would be the Father, and then the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. But it's unusual in its, uh, in its order, because all the other times when the Trinity is presented, you, you start off with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Paul starts off by saying, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And I think the reason he changed it here, and it would have been noticeable, 
is he's, he's saying it in the way they experienced it. It was through the grace of Jesus that they came to know God, who is now given his spirit, which will give them the unity and the fellowship, not just with one another, but with him. So hear these final words again as we end 2 Corinthians. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.